this is Thorne. Before we start the episode, I'd just like to apologise for the fact that there is some noise in the first half. Um, this because we are recording this in our kitchen and uh, somebody was trimming a hedge or mowing a lawn or something outside and we didn't really notice properly until it was too late. So, um, sorry about that. Hope it's not too annoying and on with the show. Hello everyone, you are listening to the First Draft Collective, a podcast for discussing and creating stories. My name is Paul, and with me as always is my partner in this endeavour, Thornwild. Hello! This is a bit of a bonus episode, I guess, because last time we were talking about uh, world building, and we ended up creating a world which just didn't work. At the end of it. So rather than discussing any particular topic this week, I thought we'd take another stab at, at world building and specifically um, uh, fantasy world building this time around. Something a bit uh, Tolkien-esque, maybe. And I've developed a new game as such. I- I'm not calling this one a game. I- I've basically just come up with some random bits and pieces that we can sort of try and work out and, and build a world around. So um, rather than-, than talking about anything, I thought we'd just get started. All right. I have four... Mugs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have four mugs. But in the mugs are, are basically four different descriptors, I guess. So I have um, red in the, in, in the mug with the red flowers, which is convenient. Um, that was accidental. Uh, which has a, um, a number of um, fantasy species, races, inside of them. And we're going to pick five. We're already going to start with humans as one, and then we're going to pick five others. Five others? Five others. Okay. Then we're going to work out exactly where each of these races live. That is going to be in the mug with the green limes on it. The slips of paper in this one are blue, but they are going to be the locations and where they live. We're going to pick, say, two for each race to work out where they are. Kind of in the same way that Lord of the Rings has um, has humans, but you have Gondor and then you have Rohan. So you have horse lords and then you have city dwellers. Mm. Yeah, And then finally, we're going to be selecting traits for these races. So whether they're kind, generous people, welcoming of outsiders, or warlike barbarians, etc., etc. At the end, we also have a fourth mug, which is going to give us an antagonist for this particular story, or world, anyway. Mad King, evil sorcerer, etc. Yeah. But rather than sticking to these rules like we have done with the, with the other game, I want to make this a little bit more of a discussion about what we think works. And if we feel like something is not working on the story, we can just ditch it and try something else. So, let's just throw ourselves straight into this, I suppose. Would you care to pick a species? Pick a species. All right, let's have a look. Mer people, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That is fine. Do we want to keep picking races? Do you think, or shall we do the, the locations and the traits first for each of these? We can um, maybe we do locations and traits first, and then pick more species. Okay, so and then I have locations, which are blue, and just pick two of those. Okay. Rich traders and ancient city. 
Okay. So I should clarify that some of these are not real locations, but they are they they are aspects that inform us as to where these people live. So we can figure that out later. Okay. Okay. So that's for mer people we have rich traders and also an ancient city. If we do decide we want a another location for them later, mm. then we can do that. Okay. Yeah. So next traits now? Or would you rather move on? No, let's do traits straight away. Okay. So traits are green. How many of these? Two? Uh, um, yeah. I'm going to say two. Patriarchal. Unfortunate. And sense of superiority. <laughs> so we have mer people who live in an ancient city under the water, presumably. Who are rich traders and uh, have a patriarchal society and a sense of superiority over other races. I'm somehow picturing Victorian London if it was underwater. <laughs> but that's fine. That gives us something. So I suppose next is me. Mm-hmm. And I will start over again. And I got lizard people. Lizard people's fun. Mm -hmm. It can be. I feel like this might end up being somewhat animal-themed now, but... Mer people aren't necessarily animal-esque all that much. No, that's true, but still. Then, blue. I have two of these, so I have for lizard people. They're farmers, and also exist in a mountain castle. Then my traits. <laughs> okay, so we have lizard people who are farmers who live in a mountain castle. Whether those are the same places, we can decide later. Who believe in free love. Nice. And are militaristic. Interesting combination. I kind of like it. Ooh, I'm, I'm picturing kind of a, a sort of... Um feudal system here you've got your you've got your sort of lords and stuff that live in mountain castles and you've got the serfs who are farmers that could be uh, uh no that kind of works i like that yeah i i think that the um it does sound like there's some sort of um moral disconnect there almost but i suppose in a in a caste system that would work well i mean romans practiced free love they were militaristic as fuck. And quite feudal. That's true, yeah. I'm now picturing lizard people in, in Roman armour. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Another species. Okay. Shape changes. That's fun. Okay. Where the shape changes live. Ground dwellers. And a floating fishing village. So that's... Definitely two different locations. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm sensing two distinct societies developing. Yeah. Let's see what we have here. Well, then matriarchal. And have a strict class system. I mean, I'm wondering then in that case if the floating vi fishing village could be where, they, where the richer members of society live. Possibly. Living off the sea. And then the ground dwellers are sort of the downtrodden... Lower classes that's that's sort of 
Who, who gather resources for the fishing village, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so we're up to three. Mm-hmm. We need two more. So, me again. Why we take turns doing this, I am not quite sure. I could just make you do it all, but... It's more fun that way. I suppose. We all get to participate. Halflings. Classic. Indeed. We already have ground dwellers for someone else, so... And farmers. So no matter what, these are going to not be your usual typical halflings already. Probably not. Which is good. Mm Mm-hmm. Because my whole thing before was that I did not, in the previous one, is that I did not particularly care for high fantasy where everybody is just one particular type of thing. I realise with this game that I'm sort of breaking my own rules and I am a hypocrite. (laughs) But stereotypes can be informative, if nothing else. So I have, for halflings, a vast mining complex and ice survivors. I was thinking, like, Inuits. Oh, right. I don't know, that kind of makes sense. Like, they uh, they live they live in the sort of, I don't know, northern wastes or whatever, or southern wastes. We could have a uh, fantasy world that's, you know, not so European. and But there's ore and stuff there, so they can mine. Either way, not your more typical halflings. Nope. Which I'm okay with. But I have for their traits, skilled craft makers. That fits with the mining does kind of feel like I've just sort of made halflings the new dwarves, though. Maybe a little. And one with nature. So they have a, a sort of a spiritual the, yeah, connection possibly, to the land sort of thing. Possibly spiritual, possibly a connection to the land. Uses more or less your um, more more traditional methods of mining. And probably does so in a sustainable manner. I'd say so. Not quite sure in that case what they're mining. They're probably mining ore of some kind. I'm sure there are ways of mining ore in sustainable ways. It's not like ore feeds anyone. No, this is true. We need one more. Okay. So, back to you. Vampires! Fine. They live in a prosperous megacity. They're also travelling wayfarers. I assume they travel at night. I mean... It doesn't necessarily have to be that these vampires are unable to go out during the day. That's true. Let's get their traits. They're prejudiced and telepathic. Well, that feels very typically vampirish to me, which is a bit of a shame, but no matter. Yeah. Uh, I hate stereotypes. Ah, we can't escape them entirely. But no, the the prosperous megacity mega and the travelling wayfarers kind of make sense because, like, they're obviously sort of... I mean, they're prejudiced, so that kind of implies a sense of superiority, even though the mer people already have that as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they could be a society that lives in this, this prosperous city that is far more advanced than anybody else in the world, but they still need food, being vampires. So maybe the travelling wayfarers are the gatherers. Or maybe... Maybe the travelling wayfarers are sort of rebels who've branched off and don't want to live in the megacity and want to sort of, I don't know, maybe return to their, their, their roots of being sort of hunters of humans, whereas in the megacity they have, or other people's, whereas in the megacity they have like, um, they keep uh, other species as cattle or slaves or whatever. That's not bad, actually. I, I kind of wonder what the... Ones in the megacity do for food in that case? 
No, they keep uh, they keep they keep other species as cattle. Right. Yes. Yes. So they have like slave pens and stuff like that, and they uh, and they don't kill their prey. They just sort of drain them slowly, let them recover, and then drain them again, like milking cows. That's horrifying. Or eggs from chickens. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure that's the part of a plot of an underworld movie, or maybe something else. I don't know. I, I'm thinking of a movie where this sounds like a thing that happened, but no matter. Well, there's a, in a, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's a, they make a factory, essentially. Oh, yes, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they just tap the, <laughs> tap the humans and, yeah, like barrels, like, <laughs> like meat kegs. One thing we haven't done, because I said that we'd start with humans from the, as default from yeah. the beginning. We haven't selected any of their locations or traits, so no. we can do that now. Do you want to... I... Well, what we'll do is I'll take one and you take one. Okay. And then we'll open them together. So I have horse lords. I have pagans. Horse lords and pagans. I like this because it implies that humans are, shall we say... Less advanced. Less advanced, one of the less advanced uh, races. You've got your mer people in their ancient city, your shape changes in their floating fishing village, which at least implies quite advanced magic, if nothing else. Your vampires in their prosperous mega city with probably loads of technology, and your halflings that do, who are like artificers and create, uh, create fancy stuff. Actually, going back to the shape changes, when I wrote floating fishing village, mm-hmm. I meant as in on an ocean or like. Oh, right. However, your mind instantly went to actually floating in the air. Yes, yes it did. Interesting. I mean, I'm willing to still go with that, because obviously that's what you're, you're, you had in mind when you heard it. Yeah, that, that was just kind of what came into my head. Floating, I think I, I went floating village first, and then fishing came after. That's... So in my head, that was a, like a, yeah, like a village that floats in the sky. <laughs> that's fine. We can come back to that. Laputa-esque. We, um... We still need traits for the humans. So again, I've taken one. I'll take another. If you'd like to take another. All right. I've got meritocracy. Free people. <laughs> These are very cliche humans, I am going to say. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I like them. And I like that they're sort of seemingly not like super advanced. Horse lords implies nomadic. Yeah, I mean... Uh, blatantly, I use that term because it, because I had Rohan in my head. Mm. So obviously, the Rohan, uh, the um, people of Rohan in Tolkien are fixed in one place, more or less. See, I thought more like Dothraki. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's true. When I had Horse Lord, so I was thinking more like a nomadic kind of maybe slightly tribal society, which fits quite well with the pagan part. True, but it's not. Instead of having like kings or uh, something like that, it's a meritocracy. So the strongest, the strongest is the leader. It's not like it doesn't follow in family lines or anything like that. They have strong. The strongest are the leaders, and uh, and people are sort of people gain status by what they can do rather than who they are or how they're born. Okay, I kind of like the sound of these humans. Now, now that you've said that, I, I think I agree with you. I think I like the Dothraki thing. But what was the trait that you got? You got uh, oh, free people. I got free people. Well, that makes sense as well. Like there. Yeah, and the meritocracy fits with the Dothraki as well. Actually, come to think of it. Yeah, it actually does. Yeah. So, okay. So you have these wild, free humans roaming the plains, and then you have five 
five other races that are all very established societies. Because mm-hmm. we have mer people mm-hmm. in their rich ancient cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rich trader, I, traders, I think, implies that they have many. They, they might be based in an yeah, ancient city. So. They might be based in an ancient city, but they have other surrounding areas that all feed into this trade network. They also trade with the other races, though, I think. I think they must trade with the shape changers. Hmm. Uh, well, no. Actually, no. That might not be true, because if you... Like I said, I, I picture this fishing village as basically floating on an ocean or a lake. Mm-hmm. If you want it floating in the air, that kind of makes it a little bit difficult for trade for mer people. Not if the uh, not if it's the shape changes that sort of go down to the sea and the, they sort of meet in the middle. True. Also, they could be tra- they could also be trading with the halflings, the ice survivors. True. Also, given that this is a still a fishing village, it can't be floating too far up in the air because they have to still be able to fish. <laughs> what if they're lizard people that have wings? Um, no, it's the shape changes. Oh, uh, no, no, yeah, sorry, no, I'm getting the... confused by my thing. But they're shape changes. So they're they shape changes, so they can go wherever they want. Yeah, they can have wings if they wanted to. That's true. Yeah, okay. So, no, that, that makes sense. Let's think about this for a second. So, let's consider the trade between these people like we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. The people are rich traders. And they probably have, like, underwater resources and stuff like that. Oh, and they get... They trade and also trade in the... Uh, oh, maybe they're go-betweens? Because the uh, our halflings are sort of in their frozen wastes. But they have their mining operations and they they create um, a lot of... Like, their... their um, what was it? What was the precise wording of their... I said a vast mining complex. Yeah, vast mining complex and... And um, ice survivors. Yeah, and then... Oh, and sorry, the traits. The skilled craft makers. Skilled craft makers, that was what I was thinking of. So, but they're sort of stuck in the frozen wastes and um, probably don't have all that much need to leave. But obviously the the merpeople's city span the entire ocean, so they can trade with the halflings. Yes. And then they can, again, sort of get wealthy from the stuff that they trade with the halflings... And sell that to the other races, since that's pretty advanced and cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that the shape changes probably um, sort of can be good go-betweens as well, because since they can change shape, they can fly, they can swim, they can do anything. Mm -hmm. So they actually are probably the ones that prosper best from the merpeople. Yeah. Regardless of whether there's floating fishing villages on the ocean or in the air. Yeah. I think the only one that's kind of left out here is the lizard people because even though they're farmers they do live in a mountain castle so they're a bit detached from everywhere else but that fits because they're militaristic yeah yeah so they're isolationist yeah exactly and i mean we did say free love that's possibly just amongst each other yeah i'd say so so yeah and then probably what you have as the outliers here Mm -hmm. are the vampires that are above everybody else who probably, I mean, your traveling wayfarers probably hunt the humans. Yeah. The the, the, the horse lord humans. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I still think that the traveling wayfarers probably do trade with this prosperous megacity of theirs. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, and they'll probably bring human cattle back. Occasionally. And, uh... I mean, they'd be terrible hunters. Sorry, they'd be terribly good hunters, being mm-hmm. telepathic. 
yeah. because they can hunt and talk amongst themselves without anybody knowing. And probably they may also have telepathic powers to sort of draw draw their prey in, as or, it were, or at the very least sense where your prey is mm-hmm. or sense what your prey is going to do. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I was. I was a little bit unhappy with this as we were building it, but now that we've actually done that, that that feels like it makes a lot of sense. I quite like this world. I'd, I'd write this book. <laughs> Maybe. All ideas we do here are for anybody who's listening to do whatever they want with. Oh, yeah. No, this is public domain. Yeah. So Creative commons. I mean, I... For, I mean... By all means, I feel like I'd want to write something in this world too. So maybe we should actually, like, if people are interested, maybe we should just kind of all write in this world and and see what we come up with. I can probably, we can probably come up with something that's a little bit more uh, structured about it rather than just talking about it like this and and share it. But our world isn't complete. Because even though we have the humans that are being hunted by the vampires... And then we have the four other races that are there and trading amongst themselves. I feel like we still need an overarching villain mm-hmm. for this for this story. Maybe not all of them. So uh, what I suggest is that I have a small list of possible possible plot twists. Okay. We can decide if we don't like something that we can change it. But I suggest that we choose the threat which is in here, and then we select another species to be the source of the threat. Think of it like the outlier. Let's see here. A destructive relic. I mean, that doesn't necessarily imply a species. So do we want a species to be the source of this relic, who maybe created this relic long ago? Or do we want that to be a mystery and we find it in a particular location, maybe? I, I, I'm thinking if it's an ancient relic, we should possibly have it as some, something from long ago. Yeah. That may be an extinct species. Yeah. Then we still uh, draw that species and, and have a... So that we know where the relic comes from, right? Yeah. So if you select a race. Orc. I like the idea of uh, extinct advanced orcs. Yes, I do too. I, I like the idea or of... Or sorcerer orcs or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I like the idea of orcs being anything but warlike barbarians. Because mm-hmm. that's what you get in Lord of the Rings. That's what you get in uh, Warhammer lore. And Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls. Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Yeah? So uh, that is the trope. That is definitely the trope. Yeah. And I hate it when i talk about when i talked about in the the episode where we were talking about um world building i talked about planet of hats and stereotypes and how i didn't really like worlds with it and at the end of the day you are going to find stereotypes and you are going to find these tropes in in all kinds of fantasy there's no real getting around it they just happen unless you craft your world very complexly yeah but the the one thing that's always bugged me is just orcs being these warlike barbarians that do nothing but but murder and destroy we were actually we were talking about we were actually talking about this specific thing the other day when we were slightly sort of starting to plan this episode and i mentioned then i think that my favorite one of my favorite characters in skyrim is uh master ura groshub who is the keeper of the arcanium at the college of winterhold he's a librarian essentially and he's like this ancient scholar. Nobody knows how old he is. There's rumors that he's like a thousand years old. 
Which is like, how long can an orc live if they don't die in combat, essentially? <laughs> he, but he's like a scholar and a, 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 a mage and stuff like that. And he's so atypical for an orc. And I really love that. While you've been talking, I have just been selecting our traits for these orcs. Because I feel like we could do with fleshing them out a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So, I have so far selected they are worshippers mm-hmm. in natural harmony. That makes sense with the relic. Yeah. Is a little bit like the um, the one with nature that the halflings have. Yeah. And I also have curious. Again, nice for orcs. And they had a strict caste system. Another strict caste system. Well... No, that was a caste system and this is a class system. Yeah, exactly. And there is... A, a difference. distinct difference, yeah. So, this is um, in in my Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Or, uh, orcs are uh, druids. The uh, country where the orcs come from is run by a druidic council and a dwarf king. I was just reminded of that because of the whole natural harmony thing. Worship is in natural harmony, but uh, but that doesn't mean that this has to be that. Yeah, I mean, I was just toying with the idea a minute ago of. Because they are in natural harmony, or were in natural harmony, mm-hmm. and the uh, the halflings are one with nature, what if the halflings in this story are actually offshoots of orcs? I'm not quite sure how I feel about that, because I kind of, at the same time, I kind of like the idea of them just being their own separate thing. Maybe in the ancient orcs' strict caste system, the halflings were... Shut up, cat. Maybe in the uh, in the ancient orc strict caste system, the um, the uh, the halflings were part of that, like they were lowest caste or something, and then uh, some halfling tribes or whatever survived while the orcs were extinct. Yeah, I can't. In one like way that. or another, I do feel like we need to decide what this ancient destructive relic was that is now threatening the entire world. Well, it has to be something magical, obviously. (laughs) Ah, well, that is the thing, because now we need to talk about a magic system. And so, vampires are a thing. Vampires are a thing. Blood magic could be the primary form of magic in this. Could be. Which the orcs possibly began, because they were worshippers, and they were in natural harmony, and blood magic is a natural, natural magic. The vampires came to be because of the orcs' blood magic. Yes. And this destructive ancient relic is related to that somehow, I think. Hmm. Because given that the vampires keep, like, human cattle, slaves, they are not nice people. They are somewhat antagonistic, I'd say. You think? They keep slaves. Well, yes, but I mean... They're not exactly our main characters, are they? Well, I mean, they could be uh, nice. I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear a story where someone was the main character from this society, to be honest. Well, yeah, yeah, but but the society itself is quite dark and unpleasant. Yes, no, that makes sense. So it could be that the sort of the main antagonist of the story is a vampire. Could be. I think that's a little bit too obvious. You think? Yeah. Oh, maybe. I think that the main antagonist should be... Uh, actually, no. You know what? I think that this destructive relic mm-hmm. that 
is from the orcs, mm -hmm. which no longer exist. Mm -hmm. to an ancient race. But they offshooted into the halflings, who have a vast mining complex. So this destructive relic, which we still really haven't decided what it actually is, but is related to the blood magic that created the vampires in the first place, mm -hmm. is found in this vast mountain complex. Yeah, that makes sense. However, vast they mining complex. Too, they so. dug too deep. They dug too deep, yeah. That's <laughs> the next thing. But they... The halflings trade with the other species. Yeah. So what if the, the destructive relic, whatever that may be, gets lost? This is turning into very wandering. But gets lost among the other people. And the vampires, some of the vampires are traveling wayfarers. Mm -hmm. They hear about this. Mm. And they want this relic. Why exactly? I'm not quite sure. But they want this relic. Therefore, they try and hunt through the other races to try and find it. And our main character is one of the wayfaring vampires. Yes. I, I'm thinking that could be a thing. Yeah. I like that. And I kind of feel like the humans are possibly... Humans are not antagonists in this. But they are the antagonists to our main character, the vampire. Because obviously a human sees a vampire and they're instantly like kill, murder, destroy, because otherwise they're going to kill, murder us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the traveling wayfarer, who's our main character, is searching for this relic. And then he has a band of these human horse lords after him, maybe? Yeah, maybe. They're trying to track him down. I'm not quite sure how this ends. Well, obviously, in my head, head now, there has to be a romance between the vampire and one of the horse swords. <laughs> I... Okay, we've never spoken about this, you and I, but we... I, I kind of hate romance in fiction. <laughs> and I mean, I, not to say it doesn't have its place. Yeah. Like, I've thought about this a lot. There are a lot of romances in fiction that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. And particularly in TV and film, because, you know, you have actors together and, you know, they have great chemistry at the best of times. And on screen, you are thinking, yes, yes. <laughs> but when I'm reading, I don't feel that. And I don't think I've ever felt that reading any book. I can't tell you why, because I'm, I'm, I'm not averse to romance at all. But in stuff like high fantasy... I do find it a little bit of a turn-off. You find that the romance detracts from the plot, maybe? Maybe. I mean, I think... Not always. I mean, I, I, I think... I struggle with it being the focus. Or brought to the focus, I suppose. That being said, I am all for ideas. <laughs> so, pitch me your romance, if you've got one in your head, and then we'll discuss it. I don't know. It's not that fleshed out yet, I think. Okay. But, but you are feeling it's probably between the human and the vampire. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that... Um, it doesn't have to be a romance necessarily, but I'm thinking that some kind of positive relationship occurs between one of the horse lords and uh, the vampire. Got the it. Character. I know what this destructive relic is. What? So this destructive relic is, it was what gave vampires the ability to breed. And when it was lost, they lost that ability. But before that, 
there was enough of them that they could build this prosperous megacity. They, mm-hmm. they thrived off of this thing and grew. But before that, vampires were very rare and sort of kept in check and, and kept in balance by the, the natural order, mm. I suppose. So the, the, the traditional thing of there were, say, a matter of a hundred or a thousand vampires in the world mm. that fed off humans and occasionally turned them into vampires well depending on how they worked maybe vampires in this are a bit like the vampires in the witcher where they're just sort of elder beings from another dimension Mm. i think that's the descriptor that's more or less given to to the witcher is it yeah more or less possibly i could be wrong but i think you're more in the lore than i am i think that sounds to me like they are Immortals that have sort of lost their origin to time, maybe. Yeah. And they existed in the shadows for the longest time until this destructive relic came about that made vampires able to reproduce. And then they overtook humanity, forcing humanity to this more nomadic, roving existence. Mm. Like cattle. Yeah. The orcs' reason for doing this could be that they were at war with the humans. The humans, let's say, used to have a vast society that was bigger than probably all these races. And the orcs were kind of the the second tier down from that. Yeah. And the humans, obviously, being wanting to expand, were at war with the orcs. And the orcs saw the humans as being these... um, Beings who were uh, against the natural order. Because, as we've established, orcs are all about natural harmony. So they went to war with humans, and then they found the vampires that were hidden within humanity's societies. Mm -hmm. And they came up with this destructive relic based on blood magic, which allowed the vampires to actually breed and reproduce. Mm. Could be actually about turning them. Could be. Could be. Well, that actually makes sense. If if the vampires could not originally turn turn people into vampires, nor could they reproduce, they sort of magically came come about in some way for a very long time ago. So all the vampires were like ancient beings. If they had no way of reproducing, and they couldn't turn people into vampires, and then this relic gave them the power to turn people into vampires. So then. The vampires come into the fore. Humans are pushed down. And orcs... The vampires turn on the orcs. And then the orcs, in so doing, decide they couldn't... They needed to hide this relic. Mm-hmm. So, why wouldn't they destroy it? Hmm, why wouldn't they destroy it? Maybe they didn't have time to destroy it. Maybe it was um, this, this, this relic that was forged. And, like, it was very difficult to destroy and um the vampires were coming to take the orcs stronghold or main city or whatever and they didn't have time to uh to destroy it so they ordered a group of halfling servants to hide the relic and eventually destroy it yeah but they didn't but they didn't get to destroy it and then it was sort of lost and forgotten about yeah that makes sense I kind of like that. Hmm. So, yeah, and then the, the orcs fell, 
And then you kind of ended up with this new status quo. Mm -hmm. Where you had the vampires taking over the humans' land. Mm -hmm. Probably still was not at that point as many vampires as humans. Probably still isn't with them in their prosperous megacity. But it's enough for them to have taken over and enslave humans. Yeah. So, we know what the relic is. Maybe there's several of them. This is the one. This is the one that's most concerning right now. This is the one that's sort of the threat of this particular story. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not the only one. Maybe this destructive relic that created the vampires... It didn't create the vampires. It made well, it so that made they it could, so that they could could turn other people into vampires. Turn into the, yeah, made it so that they could expand. Also, did something to help the other, not the halflings, because we know they're descended from orcs in some way. But the other three, the shape changers, the lizard people, and the mer people, were all also helped by some kind of orc relic. That would be cool. The uh, shape changers were uh, given the ability to construct these floating towns and villages and stuff. I mean, could they have been given the the ability to shape change by them in the first place? Possibly. Yeah, if the orcs were like powerful sorcerers. Yeah. But what well, were I mean, they to begin with then? Human? Maybe, but the, the orcs and the humans were at war though. True. But they might not have always been. Maybe. Or maybe... I don't know. I kind of prefer having the shape changes be shape changes. Mm. I mean, for sure, they kind of fit in with the vampire thing as well. Mm. But, yeah, maybe. Although, the, as you say, the magic for the floating villagers, yeah, that mm. would work. Lizard people? What would they have been helped by? I mean, they are militaristic. So it could be something... To help them defend themselves, or maybe weaponry. Okay, so we think that the whatever relic helped. Hello, cat. <laughs> helped the lizard people may have been something militaristic. Yeah, right something that gave them uh, something that gave them an edge. Maybe because we have the lizard people that live in a mountain castle, but they're also farmers. Maybe yeah, this... we're talking about we're talking about that being some kind of feudalistic. Thing. Yeah, but what if this big mountain? Maybe maybe this mountain castle is huge, so that basically the farms are all inside the castle walls. Maybe yeah, when maybe. it's maybe when it says mountain castle, maybe the castle just is around an entire mountain, and then you have the farms at the bottom of the mountain, and then at the top of the mountain you have the the richer. Maybe they ups. were given the ability to turn these. Uh really rather barren mountains more verdant so that they could farm and grow things and that's stuff. I, that's a really cool image in my head of just this really this like in a in a range of normal sort of rocky snow-capped mountains in the middle of them is just this huge big green one <laughs> that changes colors with the season because obviously you have yeah it getting well, the very top of it's still sort of snow-capped and bare and stuff, but... Yeah, but that's where the water comes for the farming. Yeah. As it trickles down. Yeah, and it's like glacier. It's like covered in glaciers at the top, mm. and in the summer, um, it melts a little bit. And... 
these lizards possibly has to be a volcano because they're lizard people. They need warmth. Volcano and glacier doesn't really work together. Although, I mean, Iceland. Yes. So, which has both glaciers and volcanoes. Could be either or. I mean, they could be lizards that are actually adapted in some way to cold. Well, there are reptilian species that are warm-blooded. I mean, this is a fantasy setting, so there's no reason why we can't actually just say lizard people in this setting are warm-blooded anyway. People think that dinosaurs were warm-blooded. So. Yeah, so that makes And also, they are humanoid lizard people, so. This idea that they also, that, that basically whatever the relic did made it more verdant kind of fits with this notion of creating another relic that um, causes vampires suddenly be able to reproduce. They both fit in terms of allowing growth. I kind of like that. I mean, it's a little bit contradictory to the orc's whole natural harmony thing. True. But maybe the whole thing was to... They live in natural harmony, but they endeavoured to change what the natural harmony was. Hmm. Also, the other thing we're kind of forgetting here is that we're assuming the farmers here are for farming crops. That It could be animal husbandry that they're farming. Could be. And, I mean, that would still require green pastures for, say, cattle to feed on or whatever. Mm. But, I mean, they are lizard people. So, True. carnivore is implied. Not necessarily essential. There are reptiles that are herbivores. Maybe they have insect farms. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Maybe they eat bugs. Uh, but either way, I, I kind of like I, I like I still like the image of the verdant mountain in a range of of other regular mountains. So I, I kind of I, I feel like that's worth keeping. Yeah. And then there's a there's a city wall around it, a mm-hmm. huge one, that contains everything within it. So okay, so we have that as a theme now, mm. that that theme of growth with these relics, of changing the natural order. The lizard people still have their relic. It's kept in their castle. Yes, that makes sense. So maybe the mer people with their with their rich sources of trade, maybe their relic was used to. Okay, I have two ideas here. Either their relic was to allow mer people to be able to um, breathe on land. Mm, I was thinking about that. Thus, allowing trade mm. with the others, or to allow for land-based items, whether that be animals or food crops or whatever, to be bred or grown underwater. I like the breathe on land idea better. Because I think that they would have their own sources of food. They'd have their own kind of farming. Maybe like seaweed farming, a lot of algae-based diets, fish farms, underwater fish farms and stuff like that. I think they'd have their own, their own thing there. But I think that the ability to breathe on land would obviously be very beneficial to them. And then the sh- going back to the shape changes, you mentioned about maybe the relic is to allow the their villagers to float. Mm-hmm. Village implies a relatively small populace. But we also have them as ground dwellers. That's true. With a strict class system. Mm. 
So perhaps their relic, as you said, allows their villagers to float. By the way, we never covered this. If they're floating in the air, how are they fishing villagers? Well, that's what I was saying. They can't be floating too high up <laughs> in order for them to be fishing villagers. Yeah, I, I remember you saying now, but I, I feel like we didn't really consider that too much. We didn't. Maybe we'll just... Well, you did say that this, this game isn't as strict as the other one. So we could just say that we ignore the fishing part. We can even ignore the village part. They have floating towns and cities and floating settlements. Maybe. But as I was saying, I kind of like the floating village idea, which implies a smaller populace. Because maybe the shape changes in much the same way that vampires were cast out in human society. Maybe the shape changes were hunted because they were distrusted so much. Perhaps. So... They're kind of recovering, and the floating, um, the the floating villages, the relic that allows for floating populace, mm. was so that they could hide from the humans. Yeah, but that's controlled by the higher class. Yeah, the ground dwellers of the, the shape changes, the matriarchal society that has created this strict class system. This was purely by chance and random, so. Well, the mer people with, with their sense of superiority are patriarchal, so... Yeah, that's fine. Unless the men, specifically, are the ground dwellers. I kind of like that. <laughs> I kind of like that. The class society is, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Okay, I kind of like that. I, I also kind of like the idea that mer people with the rich traders, because they're probably the ones that trade... The ground dwellers probably go to and fro. Yeah. To trade with the rich traders from the mer people. So the 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 male the male shape changes go to and fro, like pack horses. They may even change into pack horses for this process <laughs> to happen. Possibly. Well, no, I mean, yeah. maybe some other flying kind of... pack horses. They shape the males spend ninety percent of their lives as pegasi <laughs> to trade with the mer people. And fly it back up to their floating towns. Where they're not allowed to live, most of them. Yes. There are some, obviously, because the, uh, the women would need men for certain things. So uh, some lucky men get to live in the uh, floating villages with the women. Yes. Mostly for, you know, breeding purposes. And... Uh-huh. We can probably iron this out a little bit more at a later point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So, we know the relic for the vampires, that was to help them breed. Mm. The relic for the shape changes was to allow for their floating villagers to hide from the humans that were hunting them. Mm -hmm. The lizard people received a relic which allowed their mountain hideaway Mm -hmm. to become verdant and able to thrive. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was to hide from the humans as well? Or maybe it was to, it was a, maybe it was a bribe. Maybe it was a bribe to tell the lizard people to stay out of the way while we annihilate humanity. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then the merpeoples was just simply to breathe on land. Maybe that happened after the war when there was a realisation that the orcs, which believed in natural harmony, had actually kind of screwed it up. Yeah, maybe. So they wanted to return some of the natural order that the humans originally had, even though it was pretty bleak. (laughs) I, I, I I don't know. Well... There was no after the war. Because then the vampires turned on the orcs. It might not have been straight away, though. I mean, you know, 
these fantasy worlds sometimes have thousands and thousands of years between events. Oh, I know. I just, I, I don't, I feel like, I don't know. You, I just kind of you, feel like you, it would make sense for the vampires to turn on the orcs almost straight away. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Maybe the vampires wanted to be able to control the relic for themselves. Because the orcs were still in control of the relic. They still held it. And they didn't want the vampires to be able to continue to grow and expand indefinitely, especially since they were immortal to begin with. Oh, we kind of agreed that humanity never had a relic. Yes. Okay. Humanity never had a relic. Would the... Because, I mean, the halflings are an offshoot of the orcs. And they obviously have been hiding this relic of the vampires. I think the halflings were the halflings were sort of the slaves of the orcs. So they weren't they weren't related to the orcs. Yeah, they're not like, but they were they were they were part of the orcs caste system, where they were essentially the lowest caste, the servant caste. I, I just kind of like the idea of kind of these sort of green skinned mini orcs that are offshoots they're not really halflings anymore uh, no i suppose not i mean you've created a new race created, which you can I've, totally do i've created goblins yeah you created goblins um okay yeah so halflings are their own but would they have had their own relic then no they would not have had their own relic okay so only four of the races had relics would that possibly imply that at some point during the course of this story, which we are now probably going to have to write, because, I mean, we've come this far, yeah. um, that the humans will probably become allied with the halflings? Possibly, yeah. That could be. Hmm. I- I'm feeling like this is a very complicated and political world. Which you love, so... Yes, I mean, I, I automatically would say that, yeah. yeah. But, like, I'm feeling like there are no real villains as such in this all these races have done really crappy things to each other and they've come to some sort of natural order i feel like the halflings are the only nice ones the halflings the halflings took the uh the halflings did what they were told they took the uh the 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 vampire relic with the intention of destroying it uh but they didn't find a way to destroy it so they hid it and then they just ended up sort of living in their frozen wastes and making their tinkering and making their little things and mining and trading and stuff like that. And they've been quite, you know, they've kept to themselves. Yeah. And the the vampires, as they currently are, are probably the most antagonistic. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of feel like they've probably reached a stage where, much like humans before them in the civilization they overthrew, they just can't picture living any other way. Yeah. They're prejudiced against humans and the other races, and they just decide that they are the greater race and they can control everything that they wish. Mm-hmm. And they just can't even imagine. They're Victorian England. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that kind of works. Uh, is there anything that we've not really covered? Not of the things that we've come up with so far, I think. No. I think that that's probably a good way to to sort of close off for now. So we have, just to kind of sum up, we have six races in this fantasy world. Humans, merpeople, lizard people, shape changers, halflings, and vampires. With a seventh race, the orcs, once existing. Mm. The orcs, when they existed, were... Powerful sorcerers. Powerful sorcerers in harmony with nature. Mm-hmm. They worshipped nature. 
had powerful knowledge of... Blood magic. Blood magic. Would blood magic have been what created the other relics as well? I'd say so. Somehow? Somehow. Somehow. So, yeah, they created these relics to help the other races, except humans, who they're at war with, Mm -hmm. and halflings, who in their strict caste system were slaves. Mm. This war went badly for humans after this, because the relics that they created also included a, a relic for vampires, which were hidden in human society, to finally breed and create new vampires. Mm. The vampires then overthrew humanity and turned them into cattle. Yeah. And then turned on the orcs and destroyed them. With the orcs destroyed, the halflings still existed, but the other four races more or less just turned to their own devices and traded amongst themselves, trying to keep out of all this. Yeah. Yeah. And then we come to a point where the relic that created the ability for vampires to breed, which was taken from them to try and stop them from destroying the orcs, but their plan failed. And this relic was hidden from them by the halflings, or by the orcs, and then given to the halflings for safekeeping. Turns up again. It's uncovered in this vast mining complex of the halflings. And it accidentally, through some form or another... I feel like a trader is should be another protagonist, a secondary protagonist, but we can cover that at a later point. This relic accidentally gets traded, and it's it's somewhere amongst the four other races, causing um, one of the travelling wayfarers of the vampires to be sent out to try and hunt it down. Humans also, we're not quite sure how, also learn of this, and thus tries to hunt down to catch the vampire wayfarer before he can discover it, or they can discover it. Yeah. I think that's a fairly decent story. I think so. That's a really good start. Yeah. I feel like this world in general has a lot of stories to tell. I think so. I am thinking that perhaps, because I have, I still have a couple of world slots in my World Anvil subscription, so I'm considering if maybe I should uh, try and put the things that we have come up with into that and then we can share that with people and they can go in and find all the information and stuff like that and uh, do whatever they want with it. That's a brilliant idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for people to kind of share that with us as well if you sort of decide that you want to write a story and control it like that. Or if you just decide that you don't want to use any of our ideas here at all but you're kind of inspired anyway. Then just write whatever and then send it to us if you want. Um, yeah, contact us on Twitter. At First Draft C, or on Facebook, at First Draft Collective. Yes. Or you can contact Thorn directly, if you really wish, at Thorn Wild on Twitter. Yeah, Wild with E at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Facebook, if you want like, to follow me there and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think that we'll probably be coming back to this world again. I'd love to create, because we were thinking of doing an episode on character creation. Yeah. So maybe focus that on this world. That's a good idea. And uh, maybe do a few more other things. We'll, we'll, we'll do other stuff. It won't just be this. But uh, I want to come back to this. I think, it's, uh, I think this is going to turn out quite cool. Yeah, for now, thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope that you'll stick with us and come back with us next time. Yep. Goodbye. Bye.